find a phone on the ground here. Uh, so I'm going to give this, kind of looks like this. I'm going to give this to Paul Reed. He's going to put it on eBay. And uh, if you can claim it before it sells, it is yours. So there you go. If you have your Bibles, if you'll, that was a joke. He won't really put it on eBay. But uh, anyway, uh, I don't want you to lose your phone. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up with me. We're going to be in the book of Daniel today. Uh, Daniel chapter 1 and then Daniel chapter 6. We're also going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start out in Romans 8 and then go over to Daniel. So when I was in college at Dallas Baptist University, go Patriots, uh, I had a professor there named Dr. William Bell. Anybody know Dr. Bell? He went to heaven not too long ago. Uh, But Dr. Bell, his entire grade in the class was the final exam. That was the entire grade in the class. No papers, no participation grades, no midterm, just an all-essay final exam. How many of you guys would like that? How many would not like it? I, I kind of liked it. I was like, okay, I can just kind of skirt through the rest of the class and then just you know, show up for the final and do okay. But, but uh, at the same time, it created a little anxiety. But here was the kicker. He gave us the questions to the final exam on the first day of the class. He said, it's going to be an all-essay final, and in order for you to know the answers, you're going to have to show up for class and get the notes. So I, I got to thinking about that. How would life change for you if you already knew the ending? If you could live today with the end in mind, if you could begin with the end in mind, how would life change for you? How would that change the way that you uh, approach each and every day of your life if you knew this is ultimately where you're headed? Well, as Christians, we actually know. We have a hope. We have a destination point that has already been defined for us And so we're able to live each day with the end in mind. We're able to live each day knowing that at the end of the journey, no matter how it unfolds, we are secure, we are safe, we are going to be with God for all eternity. So let me rephrase the question. How does being secure in Christ for all eternity change your mindset today? Anybody come in the room today uh, anxious? Anybody come in the room today worried about different situations going on in your life? How does being secure in Christ eternally change your mindset today? Does it allow you to take that deep breath? Does it allow you to know that no matter what is happening in your life, it's not going to separate you from the love of God? So we've been in this series that we've been calling Secure, and we've been talking about how being secure in Christ frees me uh, from some of the insecurities in life, and it also frees me, I should say, to be insecure in the way that I love others. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, whenever you know that you are secure in Christ, it allows you to live with an open authenticity And it allows you to open your heart for loving, real relationships. Look look with me at this passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll look at verse 31, then we'll look at verse 37. 
What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? I don't really have time to unpack verse 31 today, but it basically is surmising everything that he's been talking about from chapters 1 all the way up to chapter 8. He's talking about how uh, creation fell, how it was redeemed, how God uh, was intentional about the story of redemption, how that we are chosen in Christ for all eternity to be blameless in his sight because God desires to redeem a people unto himself for the glory of his name. So he looks at verse 31, he says, well, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And then in verse 37, it leads us to the security that we have in Christ. He says, no, in all all these things and all the uncertainties and all the days of your life, we are, we are secure. We are more than conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. And then verse 38 is one of my absolute favorites. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is not extended to you because of your loveliness. God extends his love to you in grace through Christ. And because his love has been extended to you through grace in Christ, you are secure in Christ. Your relationship with God is as secure as Christ is powerful. And because I am secure in Christ, I can know that I have been created on purpose for a purpose. You are not just a random cosmic accident that came about because of certain biological reactions, but you are created by God and you are intentionally put here on this earth for a purpose. You have an intrinsic value. Being created in the image of God means that you matter. There is value about you, and you have belonging. You belong to Christ. You are His. Nothing's going to separate you or isolate you from that love. You belong to Him. And because of that, you are free to live with the security of knowing that your identity has been established by Christ, not by anybody else. Now, here's what's freeing about this. You can reach a point when you begin to really understand the gospel and who Christ is and what he has done for you, where your identity is no longer for sale. You're not walking into a room, you're not walking into a group and being defined by their decisions or by their perceptions. Because you are defined by Christ. And so you know who you are and whose you are. And when you know who you are and whose you are, then you're also free to open your heart up and enjoy authentic relationships. Relationships that are grounded in faith, hope, and love. And so this week and the next week we're going to finish out this series but this week and next week, we're going to talk about how because I am secure in Christ, I can live with courage and I can also live with compassion. And so this morning, I want to go back to the Old Testament and I want to look at a guy whose courage was so extraordinary that here centuries later, we still admire him 
and we still study him. His name is Daniel. Do I have any Daniels in the house today? I have one back here, Daniel Laney. I see him ducking. Yeah, yeah, Daniel, named after the Old Testament prophet. And when I think of Daniel, I think of a man of faithfulness and I think of a man of courage. Courage is something that most of us want, but few of us have. And sometimes we settle for substitute courage. Rather than having courage ourselves, we read inspirational books about courageous people. We watch Star Wars. We play Fortnite. We watch Patrick Mahomes lead his team down the field with 13 seconds and not run up the middle and try to spike the ball, but throw the ball. Sorry, still too early. Anyway, but we tend to, at times, we want courage, and when we don't feel like we have it ourselves, we live vicariously through other people. Many of us, uh, in many of our lives, rather than being a lion, we've, we've kind of turned into a mouse. I mean, think about your prayer life. And I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm just being real. Think about our prayer life. How often do you pray for things that involve safety? Lord, keep us safe. Keep us healthy. May everybody arrive well. Now, that's, a, that's nothing wrong with those kind of prayers. But how often do you pray for courage? When's the last time in your prayer life you ask God, God, give me courage. I, I need strength. I, I need courage to do something that is going to place me in a situation that I can't control the outcome. The most courageous person that ever lived has to be Jesus Christ. And if you're wanting to follow him, it's going to change your life. It's going to send you against the flow. It's going to stretch your faith. And it's going to demand that at times you have uncommon courage. Part of faith is taking those steps, those steps that demand of us courage, those moments where we swallow hard and wide-eyed, not knowing what's going to happen. We take the next step because we are following Christ and he's leading us into a realm where his power has to be displayed. So let's look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. The scriptures say, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege on it. Now, there's a whole lot going on in Daniel chapter 1. We basically have the unraveling of Daniel's entire life. The year is 605 B.C., Daniel is finishing up his sophomore year at Noah High School, home of the Flying Doves. Every football game, they release doves, and if they come back, they win, that kind of thing. Some of you will get that. He was probably consumed with what all 16-year-olds were consumed with at that time, getting his chariot license, finding a date for the homecoming, passing the AP calculus test. Now, the country was going through some changes. We don't know anything about that, do we? Gone were the glory years of Kings David and Solomon. Daniel's nation had found themselves in a difficult time. Now, the prophet Jeremiah had warned them about this. He said, listen, if you don't turn to God, then things are going to get rough and there's going to be problems in the country. But they really didn't want to hear it, so they just blocked him on Facebook and, you know, went on with their lives. So then, one day, the Babylonian army marches into Jerusalem, 
and Daniel's entire world falls apart. He's taken from his home because he was a handsome young man, because he was intelligent. They looked to develop Daniel into one of, one of those individuals that could lead a provincial area of their empire. And so he was deported to Babylon, and he was put into a remake-type program. So here's what they would try to do in their remake program. They would try to drain you of all of your beliefs and turn you into a good Babylonian. And then, after they had built you up, and they would try to take these young children that were still very impressionable, after they had built you up, they would place you in a position of authority often in your own area because you had some of the same ethnic commonalities with the people. And so they would put you in authority there and you would represent their kingdom in your homeland, but your mind and your heart had been transformed by their thinking. But Daniel was a young man of deep beliefs. And he was also a young man of unmistakable courage. And so in verse 8 of chapter 1, Daniel determines in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. What was Daniel de determining? He was determining that even though he was in a totally different culture, even though he was being indoctrinated in all this new thinking and all this new way of living and what he was supposed to be, that he was not going to abandon the truth that he had been taught as a young man. He was not going to abandon his God. He was not going to abandon or allow his integrity to be for sale. He was a young man, a teenager, who had tremendous courage. How do you define courage? Well, the internet defines it this way, and because it's on Wikipedia, you know it has to be true, right? Absolutely. So courage Courage is a noun, and it means the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Now, often when we think of courage, our mind goes to those larger-than-life people in life, people that are able to do things of uh, great physical accomplishment, or men and women who serve in law enforcement, those individuals who overcome disabilities, and I'm inspired by, and I'm thankful for people that live their lives in incredible ways like that. But the reality is that courage is for ordinary, well-adjusted, coffee-sipping, SUV-driving, middle-class, metroplex suburbanites like you and like me. You need, I need, we need courage. Every day of your life, choices come your way. And you have to decide, am I going to take the easy way out or am I going to do the courageous thing? Am I going to stand for something? Am I going to be a person who just conforms to whatever new thought comes around or am I going to be a person of integrity? Am I going to allow me to be for sale and my integrity and my soul and my essence to be for sale? Or am I going to believe in something? Every day of your life, choices come your way. And you have to decide, do I surrender my beliefs to the crowd or do I keep going forward in faith? 
Now, here's the thing about courage. Courage doesn't begin in the lion's den. What is Daniel known for? Daniel and the lion's den. Y'all still with me? I know I turned up the heat. Stick with me, okay? We're going to get to the lion's den here in a little bit. But courage doesn't begin in the lion's den. Valor begins in everyday life. Whenever you make that choice to take the first step, and go into areas where you cannot control the outcome. That's hard. I'm going to open my heart, and I'm going to open my life to take some steps of faith, and I can't control the outcome. Any of you like to control the outcomes? Ah. But faith demands that we put ourselves in positions where we can't control the outcome. And I'll also say this, love demands the same thing from us. That we trust another person with our heart, not knowing necessarily how it's all going to go. To truly love someone, you're trusting someone. And you're opening your heart. And you're putting yourself in a situation where you can't control the outcomes. So here's a good question for you. What's the difference between courage and foolishness? That's not brave. That's just foolish. What's the difference? Well, foolishness does difficult and dangerous things. But there's no purpose in mind. They're just doing difficult and dangerous things. You know, they're just jumping the bike over the Grand Canyon or something like that, like Evil Knievel used to. Y'all remember Evil Knievel? Yeah, like the original Super Dave Osborne kind of guy. Yeah, they're just, they're just doing foolish things. Courage, though, does difficult and dangerous things because of a deep belief that on the other side of that fear, you're going to find strength. You're going to find greater love. You're going to find honor. You're going to find connection. You're going to find meaning. And so courage is willing to take that step into the unknown because you believe that there's a reason that on the other side of that unknown chasm, there is something waiting for you that will strengthen you, connect you, build you, and allow God to use you in your life. And so you take that step, and sometimes the only thing that gives you the strength to take the step is knowing that there's strength waiting for you on the other side. So years go by, and time and time again, Daniel's courage is put to the test. The Babylonians are conquered by the Persians, and the king of Persia makes Daniel a satrap. That is a big deal. That's like the third, the third high, part of the, one of the three highest ranking officials in the entire kingdom. And Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps, verse 3 of Daniel chapter 6, because he had an extraordinary spirit. And so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. This is how Daniel's life unfolds. He starts out as a young man, taking this step of courage, being a young man of integrity, taking these steps of faith. And there was something about Daniel's spirit that stood out and went through every area of life with him. And he distinguished himself. I think it was his belief, his theology, his integrity that distinguished him, that caused him to be different. To the degree that the king recognized this and planned to set him up over that whole area of his kingdom. I mean, Dan is the man. 
he had arrived in Babylon as a brave slave. And now he's the ruling king of the land. It's amazing how God blessed this young man of courage. And that's the end of the story. And so we will stop right there. I'm kidding. Let's go to verse 4 of Daniel chapter 6. This is where the music goes a little bit dark. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge of corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. So then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. And so the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. And all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that the law of the Medes and the Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. And so after having his ego fed, King Darius signed the document. It was law. Within the law, the Medes and the Persian, once the king signed this, it could not be changed. It was law. So Daniel, good guy, trustworthy, courageous, had a, probably a likable spirit, betrayed, stabbed in the back. His co-workers, hungry for power, get the king to sign this decree, outlawing prayer to anyone but King Darius for 30 days. Now, I want you to notice a few things about Daniel because probably some of y'all can relate to this in your workplace and in your life. And so here's a few things to notice about Daniel. Daniel, all of his life, worked for and with corrupt people. Thankfully, nobody here works with corrupt people, right? Everybody that you work with is completely honest and has high integrity, right? But Daniel, all of his life, was forced into situations where he had to work with people that didn't love the Lord. Daniel's work was trustworthy. There was no negligence, no corruption, and he showed an extraordinary spirit. So even though he found himself in corruptible situations, Daniel refused to be a corruptible person. Frequently, this benefited Daniel. When you work hard, when you do the right things, people will see this, and it may cause you to be promoted, and it may cause you to move further along in life. And you saw this in Daniel's life, but also, <laughs> frequently it got him into trouble. And his own peers would conspire against him. And so there is something that we all need to realize, and that is just because 
you do the right things doesn't mean that everybody's going to applaud it and that everybody's going to like you and say, ah, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're the person to model after because they do the right things. In fact, often, when you do the right things, there's going to be some people that envy you and will take joy and delight in tearing you down. And so we also see that Daniel was often faced with a critical decision. Do I trust God or not? Do I trust God or not? Question for you. In your life, where do you place your hope? Now this is an important question because uh, where you place your hope uh, determines where you will find your faith. Where we deposit our hope that's where you begin to see your faith. That's what you put your faith in. So what are the candidates for our hope bank? What are some, place, where are some places we can place our hope? Well, we can place our hope in my hands. We can say, hey, I'm the only one that I trust, so I'm going to place my hope in my hands. I get it, making sure that if it's going to be done, I'm going to make sure it's done right. Yet at the same time, there's only so much that you can do. And so placing all your hopes in your hands is going to severely limit who you can be. So you say, well, okay, well, I'll place my hope in society's hands, and I'll trust in the goodness of humankind and the common energy, and I'll place my hope in society's hands. Some people say, no, no, I can't do that. I'll place my hands in the government. I'll place my hope in the government's hands, and I'll trust in the government. Uh, some say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to place my hope in family's hands. Where is it that you're going to deposit your hope? God says, deposit your hope in me. Place your hope in me. And where we deposit our hope, that's where we see our faith. So many years as a teenager, many years ago as a teenager, Daniel learned to place his hope in God's hand. Everything he had had been taken away from him. He had no security, no certainty. But he had already determined where his hope was. And so the decree of the king did not change the truth in Daniel's heart. Because the king had decided something, that didn't change anything about who Daniel was. He was a man of God. And so in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, we see one of the great prayers of the Bible. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed. So Daniel's fully aware of what has happened. He learned that the document had been signed. He knew what the consequences were. He goes into his house. The windows in its open upper room open towards Jerusalem. So we see the windows were open. It was the upper room. It was the ruling person's palace, so it was built on top of the hill. Everybody could see it. They opened towards Jerusalem, his homeland, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. He continued being a man of courage. He continued praying to his Lord. Daniel knew the document had been signed, but no one was going to keep him from the presence of God. The windows were open. Can you admire the courage of this man? Can you imagine how many others he inspired? Individuals that maybe 
they wanted to pray to God as well, but they were scared because the king had issued this edict. And then they look up and they see Daniel praying in his home. He looked to Jerusalem. Daniel had come a long way, but he'd never forgotten where he came from. Three times a day, he gets down on his knees and prays. This isn't anything new. It's what he'd always done. And what did he do? He gave thanks to God. I think this was his secret. It wasn't that Daniel was such a great guy. It's that he had a great God. And Daniel's courage wasn't found in him. It was found in prayer. He was a man of prayer. If you want to be a person of godly courage, you have to be a person of faithful prayer. Over and over again, we see in the Bible that whenever people were needing courage, they were needing strength, they go to the Lord in prayer. And God doesn't always change our circumstances when we pray, but He always changes us when we pray. And when we find ourselves weak-kneed, when we find ourselves struggling to take those steps of faith and courage, we go to the Lord and pray, and He instills within us that peace that passes understanding. Now, you know the story. The king finds out. The king loves Daniel, but the law is the law. He can't change it. So Daniel's seized. He's thrown into the lion's den. But God was working in the heart of the king. And so we find that that night, the king can't sleep because he's hoping that somehow, some way, God might show himself and Daniel would survive. And so the next morning... The king runs down, and he calls out to Daniel, and he finds Daniel alive. Now, here's a question for you. Why did, Daniel put, why did God put Daniel through the lion's den? Did he care about Daniel? Why, why did he allow him to go through the lion's den? Well, here's the answer. God wanted to change the heart of a wicked king. God had used this young man his courage and his faith, his willingness to place himself in situations where he could not control the outcome. God had used this man to touch a kingdom. And so in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 25, the king wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth. Now think about this. This is the king, the king of Persia, this man who had conquered so many areas. He is now proclaiming to everybody, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And the king issued this decree, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. This is the king issuing a decree that there is a God who has a kingdom that will never be destroyed and whose dominion has no end. Daniel's courageous faith had changed an entire kingdom. Daniel taking these steps of faith, Daniel being this man of courage, had penetrated the hardened heart of a king. Now, God may never use you to change a kingdom, but he may use your godly courage to change your marriage. 
Maybe God uses your courage to be the one who breaks the chain and changes the trajectory of your family. And your family has this long past of dysfunctionality and pain and hardship, maybe abuse, whatever it might be, but God's going to use your courage to break that chain. Maybe God uses your faith to inspire your life group. And suddenly your life group becomes alive in Christ. And you find your life group living in community, caring about one another, and being a part of the advancement of the gospel. Maybe God uses your courage to make a difference in your school. Maybe God uses your courage and your faith to somehow change your neighborhood. I don't know the plans that God has for you, but I do know this, that God can use you. And valor doesn't begin the moment that you find yourself in the lion's den courage begins in everyday life when you determine i'm going to be a person of substance i'm going to believe in god's truth and i'm going to i'm going to open my heart and be willing to go into places where i cannot control the outcomes because i've placed my hope in god and i think god can birth within you a godly security that doesn't make you angry. It doesn't make you prideful. But it gives you a humble confidence that you know who you are and whose you are. And you can go anywhere in life. And there's a security. Because you're safe in Christ's love. When you're safe in Him, you know the end. You know the outcome, and so you're free. You're free to live today. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? If there's anything that I can help you with, pray with you about, it's my honor to do so. If the Lord's leading you to that point of salvation, I invite you to come and see me during this next song or right after church. Let's talk about what it means to be a believer. I know in this room today, there's some people that are going through difficult circumstances. And so we want to lift up those that are ill, those that find themselves rejected or isolated, lonely. We also find in this room today that there are many of us who simply need courage to take the next step to be the people that God has called us to be. Is that you? Are you at that point in your life where you really need God to strengthen you and to give you courage? I want that for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might birth within us a godly courage May it not lead us to arrogance or pride, but may it allow us to have a gentleness of spirit that brings strength and faith into every circumstance of life. And Lord, in this room today, some of us are crippled by fear. We're crippled by the past. And we're hiding behind these emotional castles thinking that this, these walls will protect us when in reality 
these walls are just isolating us. So I pray that you will help us to have the courage to open our heart, to live in love, to place our hope and our faith in you, to take the next steps, to grow, to give parts of our life away so that others might grow. I pray that you will help us to be courageous people who live life in faith, hope, and love. I thank you for this man, Daniel, who inspires us today. But we know that it's not Daniel who's the star of the story. It's you. And I pray that you might be the star of each of our lives, the star of our church. May our story be your story. And may the glory of the Lord be proclaimed to all nations so that every girl, boy, woman, and man knows that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, please, church, as we sing.